Hello, and welcome to episode 183 of the End Focus podcast. I am your irregular host, Andrew Brown, and I am joined, as always, by our co-host, Tori Wassenaar. Tori, how are you doing this weekend? Not too bad. <laughs> yeah, it's an awkward silence of, do I, do I say it back? Uh, how do Did we, I miss how do my we window? transition from this? <laughs> <laughs> And I see on my Twitter timeline now that Obsidian's Pillars of Eternity 2 for Deadfire for Switch appears to have been cancelled in more obvious news. So let's move on with the episode. So latest Switch news this week. First up, Nintendo has surprisingly suspended digital sales of their content in Russia following Vladimir Putin's uh, unjustified invasion of the country of Ukraine. Uh, very surprising to see Nintendo making such an overtly political move involving their products. The last time I can remember them being so open about what their products mean in a political and economic sense was when they testified, or when Nintendo of America testified before Congress when uh, they were thinking about censoring games following, you know, the whole Mortal Kombat controversy. Can you think of another time, Tori, that Nintendo has made a move like this? No, but I think that this isn't so much a political statement as it is finances in in and out of Russia are frozen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. It's always more complicated than a surface level appraisal. I think it's literally that they just can't perform transactions in russia at the moment so they have to well i've also seen news that japan is accepting ukrainian refugees and is sending bulletproof vests to the country for ukrainian soldiers to use so there's a there's a lot of unprecedented uh news from japan about this whole conflict happening right now yeah i think they have contested land with russia or something well who doesn't? so <laughs> i think that they're Russia or their stance on Russia is very um, self-explanatory on that front. Then, as the kids say, "Mamma mia!" Look around and find out. <laughs> well, in less um, charged news, uh, Nintendo has very quietly implemented a new Platinum Rewards program that involves custom profile pictures. I was going to take a look at this. I really, really was, but it's just not something that I really get too involved in. Uh, but Tori has, so Tori, why don't you walk us through that? All right, so finally something to spend platinum points on. <laughs> yeah, uh, the old platinum rewards, there was some interesting stuff. It's, it was always physical rewards, but having to pay a shipping and handling fee just immediately killed any desire I had to claim any of it. Yeah, we, we have that here in Australia now, finally, where um, it's like $9 shipping now. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so it's not really free. But um, they've added missions to the store where you can earn a a handful of uh, points every week and a little storefront, I guess you'd call it, to use those platinum points on different profile picture elements because you can have different backgrounds, different frames and different characters and then mix and match them within the theme. So right now for March, you have a bunch of Super Mario Odyssey themed stuff and you've got the Animal Crossing stuff, which I think is going to come every month featuring the villagers that have a birthday during that month. So it's all the March Mm. birthdays uh, villagers. Mm 
but you can't mix and match between Animal Crossing and Mario. Okay, so like my profile picture has always been my me, so I can't like add a, a an Animal Crossing frame onto it. No, so no. this is all done within the Nintendo Switch Online app on the Switch, mm-hmm. which you've probably seen that blinding red circle on your home screen. <laughs> These elements that you get, you don't actually unlock for the system level profile pictures. Because every now and then with the firmware update, they add more characters. But Mm. the backgrounds are just colours. Whereas this is its own separate thing. It's uh, it's got its own little editor and collection thing. And you're limited to what you got in there. Then where does this profile picture appear? So you you build them yourself within the app. Mm -hmm. Uh, You pick your background, your frame, and your character. And then it just kind of saves it. I'm guessing it uploads it and then downloads it onto your Switch so you you can see it when you're not online. If you go to the system level profile picture thing, it comes up blank now. If you have one of these new profile pictures activated. Mm -hmm. It's not the most elegant solution. Ideally, you'd want it all in one place. But yeah. it's still, it's a cute feature. It's not a, a deal breaker having it split up, but it would have been nice to have them all. Even if they just bring over the stuff that they've already done on the system level and bring it over to this new system. But uh, it's early days. There's, there's not a huge amount to choose from. It looks like the Mario Odyssey ones will rotate every week for March. Hmm. But the Animal Crossing one, I think, is set. And then next month, we'll have a different theme. That's weird. Like, I remember the 3DS had an actual, like, Kirby crane game you could play to earn all kinds of different things. You could actually upgrade your entire 3DS dashboard with custom icons and backgrounds with prizes you won from this game. And now now we've just got this thing. (laughs) It seems like a step back from that. But. It's a huge step back from that, but it's still something yeah. I'd rather have than not have. It's something fun to kind of keep an eye on, see if your favorite characters show up. They'll probably do promotions for new releases, so I'm counting on some Kirby mm. ones. You know, at, when around that time when it comes out. They, this is probably their solution to to realizing that they can't just keep updating the firmware level ones every time that there's a firmware update. Like, it's not practical. I don't know why it was done that way in the first place, though. Because Nintendo doesn't, yeah. doesn't know what other companies are doing because they, they don't look. They are wholly uninterested in how Xbox and PlayStation are doing profile pictures. So they, they don't make a system to compete. They just make their own system that works for them. And that's how they've always operated, and it works for them. So... Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to dissuade them from doing otherwise. Yeah, it's just it's a cute feature that really shows that they didn't think ahead on this one. <laughs> oh, and I also haven't seen much. I guess advertising is the word I want to use for this feature. Like I saw Wario sixty four on Twitter tweet about it briefly. I haven't seen it anywhere else. Certainly nothing official from Nintendo have I seen it. I haven't seen it. A YouTube video. I'm not saying that there isn't one. I'm saying I haven't seen it, and they is. just did a direct last week, or was that two weeks ago? Now, whenever it was, it would have been you know 
a little two or three minute window in there where they could have talked about it. <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed, it just seemed to just kind of get put out there for people to discover, but with no real actual amount of effort put into making people aware that it's there. Yeah, I think that's just counting on um, people opening up their Switch and going, oh, hello. Yeah, with the uh, Nintendo Switch online menu that everybody visits every single day, totally. I'll do it just to clear the notification dot. <laughs> <laughs> there <laughs> are notification some... dots? I don't think I've ever gotten one. <laughs> yeah, whenever they have like a new promotion or whatever, may maybe I should turn that off. Maybe I have it turned off. Yeah. I don't recall that ever happening. Like, I know you can jump into the NES and Super NES and the, the other system games. You can jump straight into them from that menu, but I've never bothered. I've always just accessed them from the downloadable app. That's just how I interact with things. I, I find a way that works and I just keep doing it. And then I get mad when they, when they take away my access to that I've been using the entire time. Like, your opportunity to get me to change the way that I interact with something is within weeks of my first discovering it. And if you change it later, uh, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that one. Um, <laughs> it's like YouTube and their, their constant attempts to make a premium YouTube thing. It's like, no, I've been doing YouTube for free for 10 years. I am not changing and I never will. <laughs> I swear they've changed it again on YouTube where... On um, console or smart TV, whatever, it used to be subscription and then history or library. Mm. And now they've swapped it so that subscription's all the way at the bottom. <laughs> and it just messes me up. Why Why yeah. is subscription, like, the main reason I'm there on YouTube? Why is it at the bottom? <laughs> anyway, nothing to do with Nintendo. Because <laughs> they want you to look at their trending videos. So you can see what all the people are laughing stupidly at instead of, you know, content you actually care to see. I've never used the trending tab ever. <laughs> me either. YouTube also sent me an email getting me to subscribe to YouTube TV. It's better than cable. It's like it's 2022 and, and you're still pitching yourself as a cord cutting option. It's like <laughs> the only people that I know who have cable anymore are old people that's oh youtube's ridiculous i think we've sufficiently drifted off topic here so we should move on to what did we play this week so we're going to start out uh tori has played the demo for kirby and the forgotten land which is due out in three weeks very exciting for that uh tori why don't you talk us through that uh it's cute as heck and i cannot wait yeah, that's about it. No. <laughs> it really does just feel like a Kirby game, even with the perspective shift to an over-the-top... What? No. Top-down camera view sort of thing. Really? Top-down? Top-down. Well, sort it of top-down. Like, you know, like, on an angle, not directly top-down, just, like, the camera's above you looking... Okay. Okay. Yeah, because uh, all the video I've seen from it so far has looked like it's got kind of a, a dynamic camera that will change angles as you move between areas. Yeah. I mean, but, Kirby, even 2D Kirby or 2.5D Kirby had a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. But um, for the most part, like the core of the gameplay, it's got that sort of overhead camera perspective. It still feels like Kirby. It still feels natural. Mm -hmm. I think that just kind of goes to show how intuitive Kirby gameplay actually is. 
it's probably the the sort of series that you'd recommend to somebody who wants to start gaming. Well, the, the Kirby series has always been uh, pretty gentle as far as being a platformer. It's always been a, a good entry point for a lot of people. Not all. Yeah. You, you usually have to dig in pretty deeply to get to, you know, kind of hardcore difficulty stuff. It exists in there, but you have to really search for it. And if you just play it just to play through it, uh, it's not always the most grueling experience you will encounter. No, it, it's got a fairly low skill ceiling if you want to even 100% it. Um, they, they usually have like a, an extra mode or something that you unlock after you beat the game that has some added challenges mm -hmm. and they they could be really hard but hard by kirby standards not hard by video game standards <laughs> but the the main gimmick in this one is this mouthful mode oh no okay <laughs> kirby games always have a gimmick mm -hmm. uh, and this one is kirby basically wraps himself around inanimate objects uh the demo has three off the top of my head you got the um the car that you see in the trailer the last trailer that they released mm -hmm. uh the vending machine and the cone in the demo uh the car is basically if you've played the 2d kirby it's probably like a replacement for the wheel ability i love the wheel power up <laughs> yeah uh all, all you can really do with it is move around and then boost um boosting will damage and um, defeat enemies and you will take damage if you're not boosting and run into an enemy despite being a car so <laughs> kind of makes sense because kirby's body is like stretched around the car so he is taking direct damage yeah the, the one thing though that i always liked about kirby is that if you bump into an enemy they take damage from you as well a lot of the time hmm. uh, you can kill enemies by just bumping into them uh, which i did in, in this demo in the mouthful mode, not just like regular no, Kirby. No, just like too. regular Kirby. Interesting. That's weird. <laughs> like, what what all do you do in the demo? Is it just like the first area of the game, basically? Or does it feel like they specially built it for the demo? I can't say for certain if they've just pulled a bunch of levels out of context and put it in. But there's, there's three stages, basically. Mm -hmm. There's the intro level, which I'm sure will be the intro to the actual game. Um, then there's just like a, a generic level where you just play through like a, a regular Kirby thing. There's secrets to be found, coins that I think there'll be like a store to unlock things with. Mm -hmm. um, and you're rescuing Waddle Dees in this. Yeah, that was what I was most interested by, by the last trailer they put out was all the Waddle Dees. And when you find Waddle Dees, they, they populate that town, which I assume there will be more things to do there as you rescue more waddle Dees. so th that's really the part of the game I i'm most interested in seeing because you know i like searching for and collecting things so yeah well it's, it's it's always satisfying to do in a kirby game as well the easy difficulty kind of misleads you <laughs> into how easy the secrets will be to find because some of them will be mm -hmm. out in the open and obvious and you'll be like oh, easy but then you'll find out that you missed one, which I did. Yes. Um, is there like a checklist on the level that tells you where yeah. if you finished it? Oh, that's that's handy. I like when they do that. There's like five missions that you have to do in each level that'll unlock extra waddle dees. 
one of hmm. them was to to bloom five tulips and I missed one tulip. Hmm. This is starting to sound an awful lot like Yoshi's Crafted World, a game I was not fond of. <laughs> Some of the missions were really easy, though. One of them was just literally, with the cone ability, you get like a sort of ground pound ability. Mm-hmm. And you can burst open a pipe and it turns into like a, a water spout. And when you're in the cone, you know, that fills up at the bottom. And it pushes you up onto a balcony. And that was the mission. Use the broken water pipe to launch yourself onto the balcony. That was it. Hmm. So yeah. they're, they're not difficult missions by any means. They're just, you'll get them naturally, probably. Most of them at least. Some of them will require another playthrough, but Kirby levels are never really that long. Especially if you know where to go. Well, and these are also probably levels from early in the game, so they're probably not going to be a good example of what we'll be doing later on in terms of complexity. What's the sample box? Because the yeah. third level is actually a boss fight. That was the big reaction when the game was revealed. It's like, open world Kirby, which I don't know why people were saying that. It did not look open world at all. Is it open world? No. Uh, would you describe it? Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, I didn't think I, so. <laughs> I'd say the level design is more akin to Super Mario 3D Land or 3D World. Mm. Mm -hmm. Just with the, the dioramas, basically, you run through. I mean, it, it's more fleshed out. Like, there's buildings that block off paths and everything. It's not like they're floating in a void, like mm -hmm. Mario games. It, it's still set in a city. It's just more they feel like little sets that you run through. Um not left to right anymore it really does feel like a 2d game translated to 3d that's that's the best way i can try to explain it hmm well we'll we'll have to wait and see uh talk about the boss fight yeah so you're fighting a monkey big monkey of course yeah it's the first boss in a nintendo game so it's got to be a giant monkey of course yeah. <laughs> they love, love they love them um it's really cool that the stage is actually set in a shopping mall like an abandoned shopping mall it's really mm -hmm. got this cartoony The Last of Us vibe to the art style. <laughs> I, I remember some people were explicitly comparing the setting of the game to Wally, -E, like the <laughs> yeah. first the first forty minutes of Wally. -E. <laughs> it's such a strange choice for a Kirby game, but I love it. They've done it justice. Are you given any kind of idea on why this is a forgotten land, like what happened to the people in it? Because like, obviously you're rescuing Waddle Dees, so there are still people living here. So uh, is there any clue from the demo what's really happening there? Not yet. It looks like you've been like sucked through a portal from Dreamland into this place. Hmm. I thought maybe this was a place on Dreamland or something, but it seems to be either trans-dimensional or I don't know. But yes, the actual boss fight is just, it's a 3D arena where you fight a giant monkey. You get given a couple of abilities. Um, a little nice touch that I liked is that they're in like a broken window storefront sort of thing. Like a display window in a store. <laughs> where the mannequins would be. Um, so you're given ice, cutter or sword, I believe. Uh, I went with ice just because I, I typically always go with sword or cutter. Mm-hmm those are the classic Kirby skills yeah I thought ice is unorthodox I'm going to give it a shot and it actually has a sort of special reaction with the boss it actually does freeze the boss and then do a chunk of damage all at once hmm. uh, you just have to kind of dodge the attacks uh, if you hold ZR in ice mode you kind of turn into like a uh, little ice ball that 
uh, blocks damage. But in general, you just want to have uh, like a maintained shot of ice breath on the boss, and eventually it will freeze and then do a chunk of damage. Just breathing ice on it does like nothing. Hmm. So, so you could charge the ice breath and then just just carry it with you. Not so much. It, it's like you have to keep the ice breath on the boss oh, continuously for okay. like a couple of seconds, and then it will kind of. You'll, you'll see, see, like, ice forming on its legs, and it even has, like, little, like, frost on its fur and everything. It's, it's an amazing attention to detail. Makes um, me wonder how that would differ with the, uh, if you brought the sword or the cutter with you instead, if there's completely different mechanics for beating the boss with those tools, or if it's just, you know... I really don't know. Di- different, different particle effects. I feel like the, the ice was the most effective if you can manage to dodge the attacks and actually pull it off. Because mm-hmm. you have a little bit of a cooldown if you need to stop. Like the ice will kind of stay there for a little bit and then reset. So it's not easy to do, but it does feel like a, a weakness specific to this boss. I don't know if that's going to be a, a common theme. Uh, I, I know in other 2D Kirby games, there's typically an intended way to beat a boss. Like there's a, an ability that they give you beforehand that will work better with the attack pattern. But I've, I haven't seen it before where there's a specific reaction to a specific ability. So I don't know if that's new or not, if I've just been playing Kirby games wrong. Uh, my experience with them really stops with the Super NES, because I haven't been super impressed by the later games in the series. I couldn't say. Yeah, well, somebody can correct me then. And I'm sure somebody will. Because <laughs> this is the internet, and that's how that works. Um, and then once once you beat the demo, it gives you the typical go to the eShop to pre-order. Mm-hmm. But it also gives you the ability to upgrade. Or I think it's evolve your abilities or something. I can't remember the exact terminology, but you can take the abilities that you have mm-hmm. and then kind of evolve them into newer, more complex abilities. I think this is what one of the things that the Waddle Dees are going to do. Yeah, that was shown briefly in one of the trailers. One of the Waddle Dee shops does let you enhance, improve, evolve something, the different Kirby transformations. How exactly that works hasn't been fully explained yet, but... Yeah, uh, I haven't tried that myself yet. I wanted to leave some surprises for the full game, but I was just surprised Mm -hmm. to see that in the demo at all. Are you Mm -hmm. excited for the game now? More excited, less excited? I'm more excited. It really just does feel like more Kirby, but just in a a different presentation. Mm. And Kirby games are just fun. Like, you can just chill out with them. Like, they provide a challenge, but nothing frustrating. And it's Kirby. I mean, I love Kirby. It's one of my first video games was uh, Kirby on the NES. So That's a good one to start with, and it is on the NES app. So if you have Switch Online, you can check it out there. Uh, the game I always tell people to start with for Kirby is Kirby Superstar. I, yeah. I shouldn't tell people to start there because it, it is, in my opinion, the best Kirby game. So there's nowhere to go but downhill after it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this game will change that record for me. Also, check out the Kirby games on 3DS while you still can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Unless you're prepared to pay out the nose for physical copies because people know you ain't getting them anywhere else, so we can charge whatever we want. <sighs> Digital oblivion is fun. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. 
it's bad for everyone. It's even bad for the corporations. They just they don't know it or admit it. They're too short. They're too focused on short term profits. But anyway, anyway. Uh, <laughs> that's the that's the Kirby demo. So let's move on to the big release for the week, Triangle Strategy. Andy was going to join us, but uh, there have been weather related events in Australia in the the past week, which have prevented his copy from being delivered on time. The plan right now is for him to join us next week for a more comprehensive back-and-forth discussion between people who have spent time with the game. But for right now, all you have is me and Tori as an interested, sympathetic third party to listen. But let's jump right into it. I'd like to start by riffing for a few minutes about how terrible this title is. It feels like the placeholder. <laughs> it was a placeholder. Uh, it started off as Project Triangle Strategy, you know, with a uh, better name to come later. I was never fooled because they had the same story with Octopath Traveler, which also started as Project Octopath Traveler. So they dropped Project from the name and that became the final title. This just word salad nonsense title filled with made up words in, in Octopath Traveler. Triangle Strategy is not made up words, but it's just a a very boring conceptual summary of the game because it's a strategy game and there are three sides to most of the conflicts in it. So it's triangle strategy. It's like, are, are, are you even trying? <laughs> and there are a lot of interesting concepts and settings and people and groups and objects in this game that the game could be named after, like a fire emblem, for example. But they did not go that route. They just went with the most boring title they could possibly come up with. It's like that scene in the Simpsons with uh, the Poochie episode where the executive wants them to introduce a new character and it could be like the rest of you writers start thinking up a name for this funky dog i don't know something along the lines of say poochie only more proactive and then the writing staff is too lazy to come up with anything better than poochie so poochie okay with everybody yeah yeah you know it's good it's poochie okay yeah yeah, yeah, we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you look at the dashboard icons for Triangle Strategy and Octopath Traveler, they're both black squares with the title written on two rows in just like a plain white font. And it's the same for both games. And it just, there's a thematic link between the two, certainly. They, they do look like they are two games that are related to each other, but only because it's the simplest, most boring presentation they could come up with like it's literally the icon is a black box with white text on top of it and it yeah. just it does not look inviting or encouraging or exciting to play at all and i actually actually even now i'm remembering octopath traveler on game pass has a real icon with the game's title on yes it does really nice full color key art of all the characters in the game standing behind it it looks like a way more interesting game than this so anyway uh i just wanted to talk briefly about that how square enix like i i know i know it's hard <laughs> i know you put out a, a lot of rpgs and and you're certainly on an upswing from your early 2000s slump but please try harder to name your games like put real words in the titles and don't just go with your beta name like actually come up with a real title <laughs> don't just drop project from the title and 
Holiday. Hit publish. Yeah, show that you actually care. <laughs> yeah, the the icons look like wine labels. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, that would be a good comparison. But <laughs> very boring to look at. But then you know, then you drink it. It's like, oh, this is actually a good game. That's a good transition because. My complaints, my nitpicking about this subject aside, what I have played of Triangle Strategy so far today, uh, or in the past couple days, I have been very, very impressed with. Obviously, this is a, another HD 2D game that Octopath Traveler was the first one they put out. It's it's HD sprite graphics set in polygon environments with kind of uh, lo-fi pixel art textures put on all, all the objects so it's a very distinct look uh and they seem to be putting out more and more of these games there's a live alive remake coming later on this year that uses the same graphical style there's also a dragon quest 3 remake that's due out at some point in the future which i really hope gets a western release because dragon quest is not given quite the same regard in the west as it does get in japan but i i, I hope that one does get a release because i really want to play it but I, I have a, had a lot of criticisms about this visual style in Octopath Traveler. It's they use this really aggressive field of view system that, that like locks the perspective on a single part of the screen, and like everything that's not in that field of view area just gets blurred into oblivion. So characters will be talking about something they can see in the background, like this church, or like watching a ship sail off into the ocean. It's supposed to be this really grand image and you can't see it because it's just been blurred out of existence so there's really nothing to look at they have really backed off on this at least what i've played so far of triangle strategy i'm sure it's a huge game and i've barely scratched it but what i've seen so far they are not blurring things out of existence anymore which i'm very grateful for uh the bloom they're still going overboard on the bloom if you see anything white it's just gonna be blinding white light that just overwhelms all the colors around it that's still a real problem but that just seems to be the visual style they're going for i don't care for it but that's that's my criticism and other people are free to disagree with me as they probably will because you know i'm not a real i don't have a great strong background in visual design so some people could probably explain to me actually this is why this looks really good but i'm just not a fan of it uh tori i, I know you are have been apathetic at best to these games so far do you have a, a strong feeling about the visual elements of the hd 2d design that square enix is doing i like the idea but the execution specifically the bloom puts me mm -hmm. off entirely I, I could not play octopath traveler even on game pass when it i didn't even have to pay for it really mm -hmm. i just couldn't do it I just, it just it makes me feel sick <laughs> I, I don't i can't explain it well it's all these desaturated colors like browns and like greens just yeah it's like back in 2006 <laughs> yeah but then they they've thrown in bloom like because like in the 2000s it was real as brown everything is brown then in the early 2010s it's like everything is bloom and now they've taken those things and they put them together <laughs> it yeah. doesn't look good <laughs> i really like that sort of tilt shift style that they do as long as it's done you know well mm -hmm. and that's that's another reason i'm interested in playing that dragon quest 3 remake because what they've put out of it so far it's very colorful it does yeah. not 
in terms of colors, look like the other games they've made in this style. Like, even Live Alive has kind of the same look in terms of colors as Octopath Traveler does. So I, I want to play that Dragon Quest Three remake just so I can see it. They've got another visual design applied to it, whether it's because they've got different artists working on it or it's a different company entirely making it. I don't know, but I'm just that visual style is just so much more appealing than what they've got going on here with all the the bloom going on. Yeah, give me color, especially on the OLED switch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. Triangle strategy is a visual improvement over my feelings about Octopath Traveler. It's still got a ways to go, but it's the second game they've released in this style, so that they are further refining it, and they seem to be making improvements as far as my aesthetic sensibilities go, and I've been pleased with the progress they've made. Now, Triangle Strategy very much follows in the legacy of Final Fantasy Tactics, which is a, a cult PlayStation 1 strategy RPG that was also very much concerned with political situations going on in the world and building the conflict in the game off of those political situations instead of, you know, there's a megalomaniacal maniac who wants to take over the world and become a god. Final Fantasy Tactics does shift into that plot line later on, but it starts out very concerned with its politics. And those are the best parts of the game, where there's a a working class uprising against the nobles, basically. Very, very French Revolution inspired, it feels like. And Triangle Strategy seems to follow up very much in that sensibility where it's all built off the politics between these existing nations and characters there are three nations mentioned in the game so far there's afrost hazante and glenbrook and about 30 years before the game started they were all involved in this conflict called the salt iron war because afrost had access to iron and other precious metals and had the expertise to use them Uh, hazante had access to salt and if that seems weird to you Uh, It's because we really take for granted today just how important and valuable salt is. Like salt, it really did used to be a form of currency hundreds of years in the past because it was so useful. You could use it to preserve food. You could use it to enhance the flavors of food. Salt used to be a big deal before you could just buy it at the grocery store. And then there's, there's Glenbrook as the third nation, which is where your characters that you play as live. They act as kind of like the mediators between Afrost and Hisante. They don't have any of these resources themselves, but they exist between the two nations. So they act as kind of the, the negotiators between the two in trade agreements. Cynically, you could say they're basically middle management and they don't really need to exist. Maybe that's issue is actually going to come up later on where uh, Afrost or Hazante is deciding either individually or mutually that this Glenbrook place really doesn't need to exist. They're kind of just getting in the way and taking our stuff. That might come up later. That's the kind of politics that this game is really getting into. People I play as aren't actually Glenbrook royalty. They are a smaller, just noble house called House Wolfort who were famous for their efforts in the Salt Iron War, but they aren't actually in charge of the country. So there's another political layer there where you're not fully privy to all of the details that are going on at the highest levels of the nations, and you're you're an important player in negotiations between the three countries, but you don't really have full control over everything that's happening. And uh, again, I'm sure as I get deeper into the story, that's going to become more and more of a problem 
probably, you know, knowing the kind of stories that these tend to come from, like Ogre Battle or even Final Fantasy Tactics, there's going to be a rebellion that starts that you get swept up into. Just, just a prediction. I haven't gotten that far yet. Uh, the characters, there are a lot of characters I've introduced, ran into so far. They're mostly just servants of the house, but the two most important ones were Sarah Noah, who is the new lord of House Wolfort. His father was a re- very influential man in Glenbrook, uh, was a war hero and a, a close friend of the king of Glenbrook, but he is very sickly. He uh, Exactly what his problem is, or hasn't been explained yet, but uh, he, he is so ill that he can't continue leading the house. He passes, he abdicates his position to Sarah Noah, his son. And Sarah Noah is just super bland. <laughs> There's not much to say about him because he is the player character, basically. Uh, you're supposed to see everything through his perspective, so there needs to be a certain amount of flexibility on what his views are because they also have to align with how the player might be seeing things and also has to have your different choices that you can make and all three choices have to you know kind of make sense for this character to make so the result is he, he doesn't have much of a personality he's he's super boring but the other significant character is frederica who is a kind of a fire mage she is the daughter of the concubine of the king of alefrost so she's kind of like a a, a half sibling to the i think i think the word they use is pure or true uh, prince and princess of Alefrost. She's kind of shunned as a result, but she's still a member of the royal family. She has all this education and she has all these skills. So she's kind of married off in an arranged political marriage to Sarah Noah, and she has a lot of angst about this. Like, am I actually good enough to be doing this, or is this just being done to get me out of the way? And also, she has a problem where she's a Rosellen, which means something <laughs> something happened in the far distant past with these rosellans that makes them a kind of a a second class citizen or a, or, a, or a heavily persecuted race of people and you you can tell she's a rosellan cuz she has rose colored hair so that adds a new layer of angst to her and she she is by far the most interesting character i've interacted with so far just cuz she has so many layers going on with her and uh, hopefully Sarah Noah also will uh, acquire those layers, but right now, uh, Frederica is who I'm, I'm drawn to most. I'm most interested in seeing what happens to her uh, in this ongoing conflict. The big pitch of the game is making choices, and I would like to once again complain about the names of the three points that they've added into this. You can make choices that are based on liberty, utility, and what the game calls morality, Liberty or libertarianism and utility or utilitarianism are already moral viewpoints. So morality in this context doesn't mean anything. Uh, I suspected when they you were using the word that way that what they mean by morality is they mean like religious fealty. And now that I've played the game, yes, that is definitely exactly what they mean. And there's this... A tournament that you go to one of the first things in the game 
where all of the royal families from the three nations get together and you can talk with them and really get the viewpoints of what their nations stand for. A Frost is total libertarianism. They're all about like personal liberty and merit-based arisements, which uh, I'm extremely skeptical that that's actually what's happening. And actually the game is already showing uh, layers of that's definitely not what's actually happening in A Frost. Frederica, as I mentioned, is actually very intelligent and very capable. She feels very shoved aside compared to her half-brother, the the actual true son of the king and queen, who is the prime minister and is mentioned to be rather incompetent at his job, but is very arrogant about his authority and his worth compared to Frederica. So I'm like, oh, yeah, there's, there's definitely some... Uh, very real things going on here as far as you know libertarianism in in theory versus libertarianism in practice and i'll say no more on that subject lest i start a a fire in the comment section <laughs> uh, and then there's hezante which is the the country that controls the salt is a very religious country everything is built off of like what the their goddess says is right and like it's supposed to be a completely egalitarian society where the only people who have power are the ones who are divinely appointed. How exactly that happens hasn't been explained to me yet, but as far as like how much wealth a person has or their standing, like who their parents were, that's not supposed to matter. It's just supposed to be all about religious fealty, which is what the game means by calling their branch morality. And then you have Glenbrook, the middle managers who are utilitarianism. So like the, the greatest good to be created for everybody. So th that's kind of the three moral philosophies of triangle strategy captured in each of these three nations, all in conflict with each other. And I'm really, really interested to see where it goes from there. All throughout what I've played of the game so far, I I'm given these opportunities to make one of three choices and which choice I make will subtly change Sarah Noah's conviction. And like as your conviction towards one of the three moral points shifts, then certain characters will become unavailable to you. And I'm hoping, but I haven't seen it happen yet, like entirely different parts of the plot will become accessible to you and you'll get entirely different endings maybe entirely different battles. I would like to see that happen where making choices really changes what the game you're playing is, not like in a lot of other games where you make choices, but you just play the exact same content as somebody who made the opposite choices gets. So we'll see what happens. And my, my final feelings about the game are probably really going to depend upon <laughs> which route they go as far as original content for your moral choices versus just changing the color of the lights in in the final area speaking of referring to mass effect i've been very impressed so far how it avoids the mass effect morality effect where mass effect has that dialogue wheel and if you pick choices at the top of the wheel those were your paragon choices choices at the bottom of the wheel were the renegade choices you did not have to think about your answer at all you just had to go paragon choice or renegade choice None of the choices I've seen in Triangle Strategy so far have been clearly marked as morality or utility or liberty. You just pick one and it says Serenoa's convictions have shifted and then you move on. And 
that feels much more natural where it feels like I'm choosing what feels like the best option in the moment rather than just choosing what point of the triangle I want to end up at the end of the game. And really, I've, I've gotten these choices as far as giving a girl advice on where to hide and hide and seek. So there are some interesting situations that come up, some unexpected situations where you're making these choices that, that change Sarah Noah's philosophical moral outlook it's it's not just making significant courtroom decisions using that that scale that keeps popping up in the marketing and i've been really happy with that so far where it feels like i'm making i'm making natural choices not just deciding whether i want to get the paragon or the renegade ending i really like that actually mm-hmm I've been playing Cyberpunk recently, and mm -hmm. controversy about that game aside, I really liked that it had a similar setup where, you know, I could be jerks to some characters and nice to some characters, and it wasn't like an overall morality system. It was just, these people won't like it when you talk to them like that. <laughs> yeah, the earliest game I can remember doing this was KOTOR 2, which I, I really hope gets a Switch port soon, uh, but obsidian being owned by microsoft there might be a whole thing with that happening we'll find out but anyway kotor 2 was the the first game i can remember that had a morality system like that that kind of issued good and bad choices there are just choices and these are the consequences and that's yeah. why kotor 2 is a better game than kotor 1 maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that on the podcast someday <laughs> Uh, but this is a strategy RPG, and all I've talked about so far has been the plot and the themes, uh, but battles are a big part of this game, kind of. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but it's uh, if you've never played a strategy RPG before, it's fought on a grid, and all your units that you deploy in battle, which will be far more than just three or four like in a, in a JRPG, you'll have five to eight and maybe even more than that units on the field and you control them all one at a time you're making big significant choices for them every turn it really does play more like a very complicated chess match than like a regular rpg so you've got to be invested in these battles and they can be overwhelming uh, i've talked about that with andy in the past how you know games like xcom and even mario Bros. rabbits i enjoy them but i can really only handle playing one or two battles in a row because I just get overwhelmed and I just I just need to take a break to let my brain catch up to all the decisions I've made. Uh, this plays very typically to other strategy RPGs I've played, especially Final Fantasy Tactics, which, as I said, this game is very much a spiritual successor to, not just in terms of themes and visuals, but how the map works. The biggest change is to magic and skills, and no matter what you're doing with your character whether it's a magic attack or it's just like a, a skill attack, it's going to cost you TP to use. And each character has three TP. That's it, at least right now. Maybe I can expand them later on. I don't know. Uh, and every turn they regenerate one TP. So like uh, Frederica, her fire attack uses two TP, so she can actually cast that twice because... If she had, starts out with three, she casts it once, that goes down to one. She regenerates one TP, she can cast it again the next turn. But then she's going to be sitting on her butt, waiting for her t TP to come back uh, to cast that fire spell again. But then you have characters like Sarah Noah, who has an ability called, uh, I think it's called Idle Strike. Or it, it sets back when the target will get their next turn. And that only costs one TP, so you can actually keep casting that 
every single turn with Saranoa as long as you keep his TP up. If you start spending more expensive TP skills, he's eventually going to get a point where he doesn't have any TP, and then you'll have to just do a basic attack that turn. But I really like this system. I like RPGs where they let you use magic. So many of them in the past have recognized how powerful magic is and has balanced that out by making magic so expensive that you basically only use it in boss fights and you just save it. It's not a new trend, but I still like complementing it because I love it so much. But I like RPGs that make the magic use reasonable enough that you can cast skills almost every turn and this game is very much in that style i i like that i wasn't just using basic attacks with all of my characters i was really looking at the full suite of their skills like maybe i can blind this target instead of just shooting him with an arrow or i can reduce this when this person's next turn will come up to maybe delay when he gets a really powerful attack off it it really adds to the strategy of the game versus just moving units around on the grid and hitting them with the biggest stick you can find, which is very much how a lot of these games have worked for me in the past. Equipment is also interesting. It surprised me. Uh, all the strategy RPGs I played in the past, you you have a clear progression in your equipment you get to a new town you need to spend a lot of money buying the next tier of equipment that's available to you kind of like in a, in a regular rpg triangle strategy doesn't seem to do that each character has a weapon equipped and you can actually spend iron and other precious metals that you win from battles to improve those weapons and then that weapon just stays with them through the entire game and you're just slowly improving this single weapon to increase its power and i i really like that system it makes the characters feel a lot more distinct because it feels like this weapon they have actually means something to them and is an important part of their character it's not just sword five that you bought in town five i think that's that's cool i like them doing that now the game balance uh this is uh where i I think the game is going to be most controversial for people, and I've seen reviews already talking about this both ways. Uh, people putting this down as a positive and people putting it down as a negative. There are three different ways that Triangle Strategy is telling its story and you know existing as a game. There are battles, and there are cutscenes, and then there are these little exploration modes. You're cut loose with Saranoa into this little diorama kind of area where you could run around and talk to people and you can find little optional dialogue exchanges you can go through to uh, move his morality in the different directions in the first like two and a half hours of this game there were two battles and then a lot of talking <laughs> and i was i was really interested in it because i am really interested in this setting and the political conflict going on in it because it sets the conflicts for all of these battles that we are having so i wanted to know these things and that's the thing you need to be prepared for when you're playing this game as far as you know getting you into battles this is not a game that's paced in that way. This is a game that's paced to tell the story that it wants to tell. And I'm, I am I refuse to say it's badly paced because I have not been bored watching this all unfold. But I will say, what I have played of the game so far, the majority of it has been watching characters talk to each other. This is a very narratively driven game with a really good combat system in it. But the combat system is not the thing that I have 
primarily been interacting with so far. I've mostly just been watching cutscenes and learning about the world and getting more information about these three nations and the conflicts they have with each other. I have really been enjoying it. But if that does not sound like something you will enjoy, avoid this game because it is not aimed at the action crowd. This is complex and political and cerebral, and you, you got to be prepared for that if you're going to play this. So have I convinced you to try Triangle Strategy, Tori, or is this just something? Are you, are you still apathetic towards it? You've pretty much confirmed everything that I thought I knew about it, which is just, it's not my thing. <laughs> it doesn't sound bad. Just tactical RPGs. Like I don't even know why I get into Fire Emblem. I think it's more of a story <laughs> thing than anything. But I'm still well, bad at Fire Emblem. <laughs> playing this, I have been thinking, I should play Three Houses, which is the first time I've actually gone, I should play Three Houses. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got way too many big games to play already this year so we'll see when that happens but uh that's another thing to say for triangle strategy it, it has gotten me interested to play a game that i have had zero interest in playing up until now <laughs> but triangle strategy i highly recommend it based on what i've played so far strategy rpg a, a successor to final fantasy tactics which is a game i could say a lot about both good and bad but uh is a game that is important in the in the history of Final Fantasy and, and narrative games and, and video games in general. Even if you've never played it, it's a very important game. And I'm all for it. I recommend it. And hopefully Andy will be joining us next week where he can give his take and we can have a... Uh, Two-sided a conversation. Yeah, a, a friendly <laughs> and contentious disagreement about our <laughs> our takes on it. I, I'm just being pessimistic. I'm sure Andy and I will get along just fine on this game, but wouldn't it be great if he had the exact opposite interpretation of it than I did? That would be such a great discussion. Well, tune in for that. We'll see if it happens. So what are we playing in the coming week, Tori? Still... Duncan Romper, waiting for the <laughs> big releases, um, like Kirby and the Mario Kart DLC. Mm -hmm. There is an HD version of Chex Quest, which uh, I don't want to turn this ending segment into 15 minutes of talk, so I'm just going to say, if you don't know what Chex Quest is, Google it, because it's amazing that it's getting a release on Switch in HD in 2022. Uh, that's out next Friday for five bucks, and yeah, I'm going to jump on that. Is that the Doom Clone one, or is that something else? That is the game that General Mills, the, the Czechs serial people, bought the engine to Doom yep. and made a game to sell Czechs serial with it. And because it was the Doom engine they made it with, it actually turned out to be a pretty great game, even though it's just one giant advertisement for Czech serial. <laughs> it's getting a re-release. It's getting a retail re-release, unfortunately not packed in free with Czech serial like it was in the 90s, which was the <laughs> other half of why that game was hilarious. <laughs> but uh, I'm interested to play it, and we'll check it out. Oh, no, I'm kind of tempted now. <laughs> oh it's doom so yeah i mean i've never played it but i love doom so yeah. you've heard the meme now play the game 
Now be the meme. You either die a meme or live long enough to become Millhouse. Oh. Thanks for listening to this episode of Enfocus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Also, make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState for PlayStation and Power of X for Xbox. Also, be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively GamePodular community. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. You can find the links for all of these in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular Patreon. The details for both of these are on our website. Thank you in advance. This episode was edited by Andrew. You can follow him on Twitter at PlayCritically and check out his long-form reviews at PlayCritically.com and myself, Tori, at stwtwo on Twitter or on Twitch at ToriSTW.